Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hello, and thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Rebecca King, and to continue our summer series on the craft of writing, I'm excited to have Dinty Moore here today to discuss, among other things, voice, persona, and memory in nonfiction. Dinty is the director of Ohio University's Creative Writing Program and is the editor of Brevity, an online magazine that publishes essays under 750 words. He is the author of several books, including, most recently, Dear Mr. Essay Writer Guy, Between Panic and Desire, and The Mindful Writer, Noble Truths of the Writing Life. And what's interesting to me, as someone who mainly writes fiction, is that in all three of these books, very different voices emerge from the same author. So I asked Dinty to break down some of the different personas in his writing. I write funny pieces, and Dear Mr. S. Ed Writer Guy, my newest book, is full of funny pieces and the conceit of it, which is people ask me silly questions and I answer them in silly ways. Um, it, you know, it's a different voice than, for instance, The Mindful Writer, which is a much more serious, contemplative me. I wrote a book called Between Panic and Desire, which was a, I call it a quirky memoir, but it's sort of a memoir of myself with a lot of popular culture in it from the Watergate, Woodstock, Nixon years up to 2001 and you know the voice in there is a little bit in between there's some serious there's some more serious work in there but I'm also tend to crack jokes along the way I've tried to write deadly serious and I just don't like the way I sound I sound pretentious to myself and so I don't know it's kind of hard to describe it's hard to describe voice generally it's certainly hard to describe your own voice but I do believe that the best sort of storytelling is as if you're telling the story to a good friend and then you clean it up, you know, then you make it more coherent, then you take out the ums and ahs, then you kind of work on a structure that is very intentional. But you kind of try to keep that underlying voice of, I'm telling this to a good friend. Because these voices sound so different, I asked if they were kind of like characters. For example, the Stephen Colbert from The Colbert Report is a character that vastly differs from the Stephen Colbert who now hosts The Late Show. But they're both the same man. Or the screenwriter, Charlie Kaufman, who made himself a character in his film Adaptation, though with admittedly some variations from the truth. Because I work in nonfiction, I think it would be dishonest if the persona was not me. Now. I'm not a person with one aspect. So yeah, in a certain piece of writing, you know, even in my shorter essays, the more skeptical and angry at the Catholic Church me might might come out and I, I dial that up a little bit more because this essay is about my anger at the Catholic Church, for instance, but I have written about that. And I'm writing a funnier essay, then I let myself be a little bit more self-depreciating and goofy than I am self-depreciating and goofy, but not all the time. So I dial that up. So persona is, I think, taking one of your many aspects and saying, okay, that aspect's going to really have a little more juice today than the other ones. So though I've used the terms interchangeably, I asked Dinty if there was a difference between voice and persona. I gave a speech once about the difference between voice and persona, and at the end of it, 
I'm answering questions, I'm really, nah, I don't know. I didn't even like the speech I gave. I think the distinction between voice and persona is, is a tricky one. I think persona has more to do with personality, persona has more to do with attitude, persona has more to do with the point of view of the writer, and I think voice has more to do with language. It comes down to the rhythm of the sentences, the type of words, the musicality of the sentences, the type of imagery you bring up. Um, I think voice is more tied to the sentences and the words and the images, and persona more to the personality. But. You know, I teach writing, so you have to break all this stuff down and say this is this and that is that and this is this. I think in the actual act of writing, it's all happening at once. Voice and persona are probably overlapping 80% of the time. Some of the differentiations we're making between things like voice and persona and genre and nonfiction, while helpful in the study of craft, can actually end up bogging down young writers, Dinty says. A lot of my students get caught up, like, am I writing memoir, or am I writing an essay, or is this literary journalism? Now, and again, I'm a teacher, so sometimes you break it down and teach it that way. There's these different types and modes of writing nonfiction. But Joan Didion, for instance, a writer that I love, does all three at one time. Sometimes she does all three at one time in, in one sentence. So it's basically your storytelling. You're telling the reader, you're giving them information, and whatever you need to do to do that, you do it. You don't actually have to sit there at the computer and worry about whether I'm in memoir mode right now or I'm in essay mode right now. So the difference between what you have to talk about when you teach writing and, and when you're sitting there, you shouldn't really be thinking of all. I mean, it's probably like music is like that, I think. Mm -hmm. You learn painstaking scales on the piano and then at some point you learn how to play music and you're not really thinking about the technical things the same way. Besides voice and persona, Truth in nonfiction is another topic that young essayists often end up confronting. Whether by wanting to tweak the facts to make their narrative even stronger, or simply by confronting the unreliability of memory, writers of nonfiction often grapple with what nonfiction truly means. But for Dinty, the name of the genre is clear on this subject. I'm a hardliner. I think that there's a reason it's called nonfiction. You're not making it up. I think fiction writers take the truth and then they change a few things and not always, sometimes they start totally from the imagination, but often fiction writers will start from, from their own childhood or stories that they've heard or things that happened to them. And then you change things around to make it more graceful, to make it more pleasing to serve the book you want to write. I think that's great, but that's fiction writing. Nonfiction, you stick to the truth and I honestly believe that. You can speculate, but you tell the reader, I don't know. I don't know what happened that afternoon that my mother left and didn't come back for three days. But I've always thought that maybe she went to, to you know, you can use imagination by be telling the truth of what you actually imagine might have happened. You can tell the reader when you're not sure of a memory, which is often interesting in childhood and often interesting part of the story is that I remember this so well, but I still can't remember that. Uh, memory itself is lousy, so sometimes people will say, well, you know, we remember things all wrong, so there's no such thing as truth, so why should we even bother? Well, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you do your darndest. You know, memory is lousy, we know that. Readers know that. But I think the pact with the reader is, I've done my darndest, I've done my research, I've fact-checked my memory, I've BS-checked my memory, then where I'm really not sure, I've told you that I'm not sure, you, you know, the reader, I've told the reader that, and this is the truth as best I can give it to you. You know, that to me is what you have to do in nonfiction. 
But do you get things wrong? Yeah, because of memory, because everybody's got their own sort of way of seeing things. But you know when you're lying. And if you're lying, if you're just making stuff up for the hell of it, or you're making stuff up because you think it'll be a better story, I don't think you're writing nonfiction anymore. I mean, I actually like reading essays or books of nonfiction where the author investigates her memory or interrogates is now the word my graduate students like to use because memory itself is fascinating and you know what we remember from childhood tells a lot about who we are and if you and your sister remember something from childhood completely different there might actually be something really interesting in why you remember that differently especially if it's around some sort of family event that was traumatic so yeah i mean the, 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 all of that sort of spinning around and admitting that there is no one simple truth I sometimes laugh that my college students today probably have videotapes of 90% of their childhood. But even that, you watch a videotape and that's not real. You're not really capturing the actual truth there either. So I, I think that whole subject matter of how, why do we remember what we remember? Why do we remember it that way? Why can't we remember some things? Why do certain people remember things differently and they're sure of it? That whole phenomenon of, of being told the story so many times when you're a child that you end up thinking you were there and then somebody, your older brother says, no, you weren't there. You just heard about it all the time. I just think all that sort of stuff is, is fascinating. So I like playing with that on the page too. According to Dinty Moore, asking these big questions about who you are, what memory is, and what this all means is what being an essayist is all about. I think the, the vocation the purpose, the project of the essay writer is to find the questions that they can't answer easily, whether it's big questions about life and religion and why human beings act the way they do, whether it's questions about our relationship with the environment, whether it's questions about gender and race, or just questions about, you know, my childhood and why did that happen that way and how did that shape me. I think it's our job, our vocation, to find those questions that aren't easy to answer and work towards them. I also don't think an essay has to answer the question. You know, an essay can say, I think I've gotten closer to an answer, or I've realized that the question is different entirely, or I realize the question can never be answered, you know, because that's the truth. And, you know, I mean, if you're asking the right questions, you're probably going to end up there more often. I mean, an essay that sort of ends up with, and now, dear reader, here's the answer, should be on the opinion page of the of the newspaper, not the sort of literary exploratory ruminating essay that, that I think well, literary essayists work at. Many thanks to Dinty Moore, essayist and director of Ohio University's creative writing program, for taking the time to speak with me. And thanks to you too for tuning in to Hold That Thought. Want to stay inspired this summer? You can find more podcasts on the craft of writing and many other topics at our website, holdthatthought.wustl.edu. That's holdthatthought.wustl.edu.